0: Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Meisel. So this, Paul, you may have the a book title that is like, I I think it might be my favorite book title ever. (laughs) So I'm talking to Paul Jarvis and the book is called how staying small is the next big thing. Right. Or is that, did I get it?
1: Um, How staying small is the next big thing in business. Yes. Pretty pretty close.
0: I love it so much. Um, And I'm so excited to talk to you. So thank you, Mr. Paul Jarvis for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah,
1: no problem. I'm excited.
0: So, and the, one of the reasons why I love this is just because I'm so I'm really obsessed with sort of running lean and mean and and really putting systems and processes in place before you add people to any kind of a situation. And also, uh, when I I restarted my company about a year ago, I said that we were going to be small by by design because I had just come from a company with almost 200 people working for it that was scaling very quickly. And uh, not that there's anything wrong inherently with that, but it just wasn't. I didn't like it. And to me, I was like, this new company, we're going to be much smaller. And we are a team of four. I have three people with me. And uh, we are scaling through means that have nothing to do with people. So uh, I love it. So uh, let's talk about your background a little bit. How, wh- who are you? Who's Paul?
1: <laughs> sure. I like that. I, pro- I should have talked to you while I was writing the book because <laughs> like, it sounds like you would be a, a really good case study. So I'll have to write a sequel and uh, in- include you then. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah. So um, who am I? I wish I knew. I mean, (laughs) I started out, I've been working for myself for 20 years now, which feels like a long, it feels like a long time in internet years. So I started as a web designer. Um, I was working for everyone from pro athletes to Fortune 100 companies, and then later on, um, digital entrepreneurs when that kind of got started. And then I transitioned um, lately into, I guess, creating content and products. So I do a lot of writing, like, the book um, and articles I also have a bunch of products like a simple analytics platform, uh, some WordPress plugins um, and a, a new writing tool and then I host a bunch of podcasts but I think it all kind of ties together in in the idea that that I kind of share with you that you can have growth in business without necessarily growing by traditional means and I don't think that Growth as a metric of success is always inherently valid. I think the point of the book and the point of kind of everything in my business life has been that growth should be questioned because sometimes it's great. Sometimes you need growth, sometimes it's not great. And sometimes growth or rapid growth or unchecked growth or unmanaged growth can lead to a business's downfall or demise or destruction.
0: So how many companies have you worked for?
1: (laughs) Um, One. I started because I've worked for myself forever. Like I I worked for an ad agency um, in Toronto in the mid-90s. And then I quit and then I haven't really looked back. Okay,
0: that's fine. No, it's funny because I've actually worked for like a dozen different companies. Everything from like small, small companies to Estee Lauder. I've actually worked for Freddie Mac. Uh, Mortgage, you know, government organization for a a summer, and I don't know. It took me twelve times to realize that I'm just a terrible employee. But it's just, it's just interesting how people tend to throw people at problems.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's well, I think it's easier to solve every problem with more. I think the easiest solution is typically more. So people like easy. Easy is good in business sometimes, but. I think it's more interesting, more challenging, more creative and m- makes for more durable businesses if we don't just solve everything with more. If we put a little bit of ingenuity or creativity behind um, the solution.
0: So do you have uh, a bunch of freelancers or contractors that work with you?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, th- so the book title, so the, tub- t- the subtitle is why staying small is the next big thing in business. The actual book name is Company of One. But I don't, I'm not personally a company of one. And the book title isn't meant to be literal Because I think it'd be ridiculously hard to be able to be good at all of the things required to run a business. But kind of my strategy and the strategy um, of a lot of people now is I I just kind of hire when I need to. Like I have a trusted small team, probably, I probably work with about six people right now. They're all freelancers. None of them require management. They all cost more, but are the best at their job. So if I'm going to hire a copy editor, want to hire the best copy editor because I don't want to have to manage a copy editor I just want them to do their job and do their job well so yeah I have a I have a team of people but they're freelance so I only I pay them when I need to there's no HR and they just know how to do their job and I don't have to tell them what to do
0: (laughs) and so what do you end up doing on a regular like on a daily basis what's your your sort of routine
1: so there is no typical it's fine like and I kind of like it that way like It's funny because I really lean hard on like being a minimalist and having a minimal, simple business. But I also don't like I wouldn't want to have to do the same thing every day. So some days I spend all day writing. Some days I spend all day um, talking on the phone with people or doing interviews or calls. Um, I do tend to block off because I'm very introverted and I like to work alone by myself I tend to block off Mondays and Fridays as just like quiet, focused, deep work time. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is when I do like all my asynchronous communication with the the people that I work with or do calls or or do things that require other people. So that's about the only routine that I have. But otherwise, it could be it could be anything day to day.
0: So, so do you ever find yourself in and, and I mean, again, I have a team of three, but I do They're all remote. I work by myself for the most part. Do you ever find that you're in like a feedback vacuum in that way? How do you mean? Like you're not like by by being on your own, essentially, even though you do have these contractors and stuff, but you don't have a partner and you're not in an office per se, like that you don't necessarily get the feedback loop of information that you might get from interacting with other people more often.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I'm consciously aware of that. And I never want to make decisions that are just based on my own hubris. Yeah. (laughs) I would I, I'd like to think that that's always the best idea, but I, I know it is not. Um, So, yeah, like I have a I just have friends that are like business friends, I guess. And I wish there was like another word. <laughs> I wish there was another word for that. Yeah. <laughs> so like I have a group of people that I can just bounce my ideas off of and they'll tell me like, hey, dude, that idea is garbage or hey, that's a great idea. So and I have I try to keep it mixed up as well like i wouldn't want to go to the same people all the time but i also don't want to go to people who are so ridiculously similar to me i think homogeneity in personal networks is tends to not be as as useful or effective whereas i would rather talk to people who don't do the exact same thing as me who have kind of the same like business upbringing as me who kind of see the world the same way as me they're going to think the same as me more or less so i'd rather go to people who feel like they should be outside my network, but aren't actually outside my network because I know them and I feel like I get better insight from them.
0: So then, when when you're working with various companies and and with with the research and the writing of the book now, do you see particular kinds of companies that should stay small?
1: Yeah, I think I think the the issue with um, growth and scale is kind of that. There seems to be like on a, a good organic size for most businesses. And, and I mean, Ricardo Semler, who is a gajillionaire and has started, I don't know, and managed so many companies is like this Brazilian maverick dude. And he's kind of found the same thing where there seems to be like a good organic size for a business. And what I mean by that is, say, a company like Airbnb, they wouldn't do well with one property on their site. That just, it just, they wouldn't be able to have a business model with even like 10 properties on their site. They need a lot of of properties and a lot of customers, but not every, not every company kind of works like that where they need that massive marketplace. Like for myself, I do software and online courses primarily, and I've set them up in a way that I can automate as much as possible, put as many systems and processes in place so I don't need people. Like if I hire people, I don't know what work I would give them because I'd rather make my business very simple and set up systems and things in place to offset having to need people. And that way I can just kind of focus on the on the work that matters. Like if somebody has a very specific question about the software or the course that aren't answered in like a knowledge base or in onboarding videos. So I think that every business kind of has a size. And I think it's interesting because and I spent obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this because I wrote a book on it. So we all kind of start from not having enough. We all kind of start from zero in business. And so we all need growth to make our business successful, profitable, durable. But where I think a lot of people don't take time to internalize or think about is we can reach enough in our business. We can reach a big enough size or reach enough in terms of revenue or enough in terms of customers where more doesn't necessarily benefit us in any huge or real or valuable way. But we all start from needing more. So we all start with this mindset of, oh, I need to grow to be successful. And, and we do in the beginning. But we don't, not many people stop and question like, have I actually reached enough? And if I have reached enough, how could things change? Because things could definitely change if we hit that point. And I think for me, especially in, in my business, because I've been doing it for so long, I feel like I have reached enough in some areas. And then it's my job now to not necessarily focus 100% on growth, but focus on optimizing for where I'm at and doing better with what I have. I mean, growth does happen because there's churn, so it needs to be offset. But for the most part, I feel like there's like the pre-enough and the post-enough phase in business or in life even. And I think it's, it's up to us to kind of figure out um, if we've hit that or not and what should change if we do.
0: Yeah. I think it's a very, uh, you put it in a very eloquent way. So it's, 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 it's refreshing, honestly, to hear that. So what are some of the tools that in tech tools that you're able to use that help make this more manageable for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of because I have a like software background, I kind of approach everything like it's a software problem. So even information products like books or courses, I treat as like iterative versions. So I know the first version is going to suck. But I know that I'm going to iterate upon that. I know that it's going to be better as I get feedback. Because in the beginning, like with an initial launch or an initial idea or an initial version of something, we're guessing at almost everything because we have the idea, but we haven't tested it in the market yet. So I need to get things out to market as fast as possible and then test it. So some of the tools that I use are um, email marketing primarily. Like I'm a huge um, email marketing nerd. So I spend a lot of time working on that because I know that it takes, so from the marketing perspective, it takes the same amount of time for me to write an article, send it to one person over email, as it does for me to write an article and send it to 30,000 people over email. And it shows up in the same place on their end either way, whether I'm just sending an email to them personally or they have signed up for, their ma- for my mailing list, they're still going to get it in their inbox. Um, I do a lot with onboarding because I found in both software and in courses specifically, a lot of the questions or the support or the actual um, like required contact is right at the beginning. So I feel like it's my job to educate people as best as possible right when they start. And pretty much pre, like I want to pre-answer questions they're, that I'm pretty sure they're going to have based on what I've seen in the past. So I don't have to spend all of my time answering the same questions. I can pre-answer the questions that they may have, show them how to get the most out of what they've just purchased. And then whether it's like videos or knowledge base or writing articles, like all those sorts of things, maybe it's sending an email like 15 minutes after they have bought something where they've had a chance to look around. And now they're like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. And so there will be an email that shows up saying like, hey, if you're stuck or if you need help with this, here are some of the things that you can watch. Here are some of the things that you can do. And if these things don't help, then hit reply and, and I'll help you kind of thing. So email marketing is probably one of the biggest tools. I know that email marketing generates the bulk of my revenue. So I do a lot with automation and segmented automation to make sure that people are getting basically the right email to the right person at the right time.
0: Yeah. And that's also, it's it's funny because I was just having a conversation with a client of mine who was talking about, he was going to hire somebody to do a whole website SEO conversion thing. And I was like, you're missing the, with your email, like you don't have to spend a dime and you can try this out today and see if it works. And it, I, I, as crazy as it sounds, I, peop, I think people really miss the mark on email marketing.
1: People think people, well, people keep saying, oh, email's dead. And I'm like, no, I'm raising my hand in the back. Like, no, it's not. I think it just needs to be used well. Like, I think if you're just basically churn and burning your list, like just trying to pitch as much as possible till somebody either relents and buys or opts out, email marketing isn't going to work. But it's not the tool that's the problem. It's how you're using the tool right. that's it, the problem. It's like in the big house so,
0: You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like for, for myself, I've had a mailing list uh, for, that I've sent an email every single week for six years. And it's articles. It is sometimes pitches, but for the most part, it's articles. Like I share things that I know my audience are going to be interested in. I know they're going to be interested in because I talk to them, and I send emails every every week. So they reply to them, and I see kind of what people are working on, what they're struggling with. And my email marketing is ridiculously effective because I put in the time to make it ridiculously effective.
0: Yeah, um, and so um, well, so I, I asked you already about the tools, but I mean, are you like for project management stuff? Are you using things like Trello or are you using Slack, like any of those kind of things?
1: Um. I don't use any specific project management tools. I try to keep the projects as simple as possible, so I don't need to manage them in other software. Communication with my team, though, I tried Slack. Slack is really annoying to me. Like I'm the type of person that has zero notifications on any of my devices, unless it's a calendar event or a phone call. Otherwise, I don't get any beeps, bings, buzzes, um, visual cues. So I felt like Slack was just. In, I felt like Slack was just constantly interrupting me, and then <laughs> I grew to hate it. So now I've been using Twist from the um, from the Doist folks for team communication, and that seems to be a good fit because I just go and look at it when I need to, or if we're kind of like working through a problem or I'm brainstorming with a partner, then we can be there and be asynchronous. But otherwise, I forget it's there unless I get like the email once a day saying. These are the things that you missed, and that to me works really well. Whereas Slack was just constantly, (laughs) Slack was just constantly trying to interrupt my workflow.
0: So, what are in terms of like business development? You know, how do you how how, other than the the email? Well, I mean, so the bulk of it comes from email marketing. But uh, is like, what are you offering for people for the most part when people are doing email marketing? What can they sign up for?
1: Yeah, so it it depends on the product, but the bulk of my communication with the bulk of my audience is my Sunday dispatches, which is obviously the weekly email. So people can sign up for articles once a week. There's no freebies, no gimmicks, no, I don't even have any pop-ups on my site. Like it's very, very minimal in terms of that. But I find that that works with my audience. And I mean, I've tested things like I've tested having a, a modal window and that increased my signups, but it didn't increase revenue and those people that signed up through the pop-up were more likely to unsubscribe within a few weeks anyways. So the net of that didn't really work out for me. But I've done things like A-B testing, headlines and that. And now I just kind of stick with what's working. I mean, I should probably be testing a bit more, but I've kind of found a good place where my audience is big enough at the moment, to be honest, that they support Um, the work that I do. So I don't necessarily need like thousands more subscribers a month. And it's at a certain place, talking about enough again, it's at a certain place where I can send out an email, and I can personally reply to people that ask questions or have comments. And if it was bigger than that, I wouldn't be able to do that or I wouldn't be able to do that without losing my sanity. So I feel like I found the the right size for my audience right now. And I mean, it does grow, but I'm not focused on growth. I'm focused on um, retention over acquisition. And it just looks different because then I can focus more on the people who are already paying attention and the information that I provide to them being valuable than looking at, well, how can I increase this? But in the beginning, it was I needed to I needed to grow that list.
0: So what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I think. If we're looking at being more effective, I think we need to think about, um, how we can make a difference for people. And I think a lot of times we kind of get, because it's fun. Ego's, ego is such a funny thing. Like we, we need ego to start something new or to work for ourselves because we think we can do something better than where we're currently at or what's out there on the market. So ego in that case is really good, but ego, In other cases, like when we think, oh, we need to be big to make a difference. I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that we can make a difference with um, a smaller audience and we'd even be more profitable with a smaller audience. So I think kind of framing how we want to make a difference is, is a big thing because I think once we start to think about what enough is and if we've reached it, we can say like, okay, I'm making enough of a difference now and then I can optimize for it. I think some of the other things that we can do is, is think about how um growth or scale will affect our profit because making more gross doesn't necessarily mean and everybody in the startup world especially is obsessed with like gross numbers and MRR is is gross numbers whereas it could end up costing more money to make more money so the net net or the profit or the margins is actually smaller. So I think we can find a good place where we're making as much money from the money we're making, so maybe it's decreasing expenses. Maybe it's trying to run things as lean as possible with like automated onboarding sequences or creating knowledge bases or videos instead of spending money on support. Um, I think the other thing, the third thing that we that we might need to think of is the is what are the, what are the maintenance cost of opportunities? Because I think a lot of times opportunities are always seen as great and we should be we should feel good that we have opportunities in the first place which is definitely true but i also think we need to think about what what the back end or long term cost of every opportunity is because it doesn't always it doesn't always make sense to say yes to everything or to build a certain feature or to offer a certain thing because it could end up costing more or taking more time or even affecting our own happiness if we say yes to things that don't necessarily align with our with our values or with the direction we want our business to go, I think that that's a wordy answer. But I think I <laughs> I think I covered.
0: Oh, that was fantastic. So, uh, well, okay. So, Paul, so where can people find out more about you? Get on your your awesome newsletter and also get the book.
1: Yeah. So my newsletter is called the Sunday Dispatches. It's at my website, which is pjrvs. If you just Google Paul Jarvis, my name, it's going to be the first page of links uh the book is called company of one why staying small is the next big thing in business and that's available pretty much everywhere online and at every bookstore as of january 15th and the website for that is of awesome
0: well thank you so much
1: yeah thanks man thanks for listening to
0: the less doing podcast at less doing we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you wanna find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you wanna be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.